Hello and welcome to the University of Pittsburgh's Health and Explainable AI, Pit Hex AI podcast series. Pit Hex AI is a research laboratory at the University of Pittsburgh School of Health and Rehabilitation Sciences Department of Health Information Management. Headed by Ahmad Tafti, the lab cultivates extramural collaborations with other academic institutions, both nationally and internationally, through its research and educational contributions and this podcast series. Hello and welcome back to the Pit Hex AI podcast series. Every other week, we try to do a short interview with a student pursuing studies in health informatics and artificial intelligence. I'm Maithili Tirmala Shetty, a student at the University of Pittsburgh and co-producer of the Pit Hex AI podcast series. Today, instead of interviewing another student, we're going to get to know Dr. Claudia Natalia Wanwekhano, Executive Director of the University of California, Berkeley's D-Lab and the Digital Humanities at Berkeley. We're going to speak with Claudia about Berkeley's new College of Computing, Data Science and Society and what brought about the school's launch. We're also going to learn more about the D-Lab and talk about Berkeley's unique culture and long-standing interest in society, how Berkeley is evolving and adapting to explosive growth in artificial intelligence and the needs of students today, including students channeling their interest in helping others into healthcare and medicine like myself. Welcome, Claudia. To get us started, would you like to introduce yourself and share with us what the D-Lab is about and tell us about your involvement in shaping the lab? Great. Thank you so much, Amethili. I'm so excited to talk to you about everything that we're doing at UC Berkeley. Again, my name is Claudia von Bacano, and I am part of the design team that originally created the social sciences data lab known as the D-Lab. It's been 10 years since we opened our doors. And from inception, we've always wanted to create a lab that was designed to serve our own needs as early career scholars interested in the forthcoming methodological shifts. So we're really a professional learning community that allows people to have first peripheral participation and to slowly move into the core of the lab as they receive more and more support. The support includes participating in short workshops, participating in intensive week-long workshops, and concurrent consultation and office hours. We also provide two eight-week-long courses, one in data science for social justice and another is part of a series of courses in the digital humanities. In all of our work, there are opportunities to learn about concepts in natural language processing, machine learning, and AI more generally. So what results is a tightly knit network of research mentorship infrastructure where students go from having a more translational understanding of data science, a conceptual understanding of data science, and start to get an in-depth understanding that then eventually takes them from student to instructor of workshops, and from consultee to consultant, and from mentee to mentor. Wow, sounds like rather than shaping the lab, you're shaping the students. So the next question, 
I'm curious how working with student looks from your vantage point. Yeah, I think that this is a really good question. First of all, absolutely to your comment earlier that the students, and particularly for us, graduate students, but also undergraduate students, but really focused on the graduate students, they are the lifeblood of the lab. Um, the lab is really comprised of their talents, their disciplinary diversity, their diversity in general, their different backgrounds, um, different gender identities. And so the richness of the D-Lab is really brought about by the diversity and richness of our graduate students. In terms of, for us, it's just such an incredible opportunity to expand our own disciplinary understandings and methods, right? Because we are able to collaborate across disciplines and really innovate with uh, social science methods. So for example, in one of our research projects, we have a linguist, we have a political scientist, we have a sociologist, an educator. And so we draw from one another's methods and find where the rigor comes um, and really make this work much stronger. But I might also add that it is not easy to create a learning environment to teach such complex issues such as machine learning, especially in a short amount of time where we're trying to meet the students where they are at, right? Because students are coming already with a full plate of courses they're taking, research that they're embarking upon. And so what we want to do is meet them where they are and build them in on whatever specific technical information that they might require. And so there's certainly affordances and strengths to that model. It's something that they can fit into their schedule. It's something that they can have on demand, but there's also limitations in terms of the depth. And so that's why we have a wide variety of different types of programs to increasingly you know, deepen their both programming skills and their mathematical intuitions. You're basically trying to convert the, the language of artificial intelligence into a layman language that everybody can understand, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and of course, the limitations of that, right? Because we know that precision is really important and precision is acquired with also depth of knowledge. So the direction that for me this question is going is really important because I think that the D-Lab and Berkeley in general, for example, are foundations of data science course. The reason it's such an important departure from more traditional ways of teaching statistics, for example, is that instead of really fixating on the memorization of formulas, it's really focused on the fundamental concepts that are essential for implementing these methods and tools. Because the reality is also that 
increasingly our ability to be assisted by, you know, computation really means that having a clear conceptual understanding now can be a really powerful thing that at some point in our previous recent past, you really needed to know, you know, how to program from scratch, if you will, and you need to understand these concepts in a different manner. And so it's really taking a step back and thinking about what is at the essence, what are the building blocks conceptually that need to be taught in the sequence that needs to be taught, while then also really having more hands-on application and manipulating real-world data with the tools so that the furthering and the greater depth of understanding comes from practice and comes from experimentation. And, and so that's a big departure from sort of sink or swim STEM programs that we're more familiar with. As mentioned earlier, I'm a graduate student of health informatics, and there must be a lot of students who are coming from different disciplines of science like medicine, informatics, pharma, whatever it is. And what does D-Lab actually offer to those students besides the typical programming language that data science offers? Thank you so much for asking that question. It's such an important question. And really, if you think about it, anybody working with social data or data about human beings really needs to know more about social scientific inquiry. So that's the first thing I will say is that just analyzing data is not enough. We need to have strong research question and the research question, the methods need to be in the service of that research question and the data, we need to be thoughtful about the data as well. So I would say that it's not just for social scientists, it's for anybody interested in social phenomena. But furthermore, health, of course, is one of the most important pressing issues of our times. In fact, our largest participant base comes from the School of Public Health, that we have more people coming from the School of Public Health than any other of the colleges. And the reason is because there's such a need for these both skills, but also how to build a research study in a way that is fair, equitable, thoughtful. And so, for example, we have developed a framework to think about digital health as one example. In this framework, we're thinking about equitable distribution, equitable design, privacy and data return, stereotypes and bias, and structural racism. So we train people and provide professional development in thinking about who are the participants or the community members that you are interested in? How are you going to approach that community what are the needs and the resources that that community has? What are their assets? How might your project be of value to them? Because we are, you know, we're coming in and we're taking a lot of information from our community of participants, but are we giving back? And what is our drawing from cultural humility framework? What is 
our positionality? Are we coming in as saviors or are we there to empower that community? Furthermore, how did the data that I'm using, if I'm using an existing data set, how was it collected? What did issues of consent look like? Was it just a checkbox or was it much like the conversation you and I are having right here where we're exploring the topics at depth so that we can ensure that consent is really thorough and authentic? And furthermore, do we have a position in terms of racism, anti-Blackness, for example, where we are really constantly thinking about power and our own power and how we're disempowering or empowering the community of interest because unintentional harm can occur. And so we really need to commit to doing no harm. So all of these components are part of participatory action research, are part of uh, cultural humility frameworks, are part of social scientific inquiry generally. And so we don't just teach Python, we teach specific programming languages in the context of their application, in the context of a method, in the context of a specific domain area. And we have a wide variety of different researchers that specialize in different domain areas. It's amazing how they're trying to, you know, tailor down the coursework of every student based on their background and bringing them to down to a humble point of view of seeing the society. You know, they can be from medicine, they can be from, you know, data science or whatever it is, but they get to see the world through a different lens, like a, like a normal human and still learn advancing courses like artificial intelligence from a very different perspective though. But again, that said, it's still being connected to their roots. So that's just amazing. And while we're talking about tailoring stuff, I would love to know what suggestions you have for me as a student of health informatics for the future projects according to your lab. Wonderful question. So, I mean, I think that first of all, our lab is really focused on doing good and serving social justice. So I think like asking yourself the questions that I just mentioned in the work that you're doing are a really great step in the right direction. But furthermore, one of the methods that we've been innovating on is drawing from the constructing measures approach by Mark Wilson, which is also known as uh, faceted Rosh item response theory, and combining that with deep learning. And so the reason I'm saying this is because we know that in machine learning, we can introduce bias, right? And so it's really important to us in our lab to be very thoughtful about what bias we are introducing into the models that we develop. And so one of the things I would suggest to you is as you're beginning your next project, to think about what is the phenomena that you're trying to understand. And if at all possible, to use this constructing measures approach to create a construct of what is more of that 
uh, phenomena, what is less of that phenomena, and to actually create a survey, uh, what we call an instrument, in the process of developing um, your data set for training a machine learning model so that you have really specific questions that get to the phenomena that you're trying to observe. And in that process, I would also suggest to you that you collect information, demographic information about the human labelers that are labeling your data set for the generation of the model. Because in our understanding, that is one of the most powerful ways that we can remove labeling bias from the model development, because we'll know, for example, are there more white men labeling this data set than women of color, for example. And so we can add a weight for the voices of the women of color, and we can have a more uh, sort of egalitarian perspective, a more diverse perspective on a to given topic. And so through that process, you could estimate the individual labeler's bias and take that into account. And also it's possible to look at low quality labeling through that process. But all that to say is that I just encourage you to think about data science and machine learning within the larger context of society and social scientific inquiry and to look at what has already been done in this area and to build in an open science manner from what has already been done in this specific area that you're developing inquiry. Thank you so much, Claudia. That's amazing. I love how you're trying to humanize all the evolving students' thoughts, while at the same time we're trying to leverage artificial intelligence. It's just amazing. In a world where we're trying to run towards something that's not natural, you're trying to, you're asking us to come back to a level of human and think about it, which is really special. So, Claudia, I would like to know more about the College of Computing, Data Science and Society, what the college is all about, and how profoundly different is it from the traditional colleges, and is the college's emergence a sign of a new way of thinking around education influenced by rise of artificial intelligence and changes needed in the world? What a wonderful and important question. Absolutely. I think that, you know, as you know, as you may know, the college is the first new college at UC Berkeley in 50 years. It's a huge occasion for us. What I personally love the most about the College of Computing, Data Science, and Society is that at its core, it's based on ethics and societal context. Professor Catherine Carson, historian, created this course to ensure that students understood the implications of data science, machine learning, and AI more generally. The other thing that I love about the College of Computing, Data Science, and Society is that we have ingrained values of diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and social justice. So for the last four years, we've been working on an NSF, Data Science at Scale grant, really interrogating issues of accessibility for historically underserved populations. And it's a major campus initiative where we're scrutinizing pedagogical practices. So the last thing I'll say that I love about the you know, Berkeley culture and 
CDSS is no exception, is the tremendous, strong female leadership on campus. Jennifer Chase, associate provost, is, you know, the daughter of immigrants and a tremendous example of this type of leadership. But of course, our chancellor, Carol Christ, as well, and our social sciences dean, Rocker Ray. And so that makes me feel that my leadership is wanted here at Berkeley and at the College of Computing, Data Science, and Society. Here at Berkeley, you know, we're the home of the free speech movement. There's just at the core a critical perspective and an activist scholar tendency here that I'm personally really persuaded by and really inspired by. Everything that we do is really for social good and social justice, and it's not devoid of that content or that motivation. And then furthermore, it's not just what we do, which is many times focused on educational equity or health equity, et cetera, human rights, but it's also how we do it. And everything that we do at Berkeley, we strive to do as open source and open science. It's not always easy to do because there's so much proprietary software and there is kind of a need for uh, revenue generation and monetizing. But in every way that we can, we really share everything that we know uh, and that allows other people to replicate. So being, you know, the foremost public university in the country and potentially in the world means opening yourself up and being generous and giving. That definitely is empowering and inspiring as well. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Claudia. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is very exciting and this is a really fun experience for me. Being a podcast on health and explainable AI, what's something that you would love to see my peers work on or anybody, any student work on? I think that as you can tell from all my answers, that it's really all about explainable AI. We really attempt to demystify the black box of AI. And although there are components that nobody really understands fully, and, and that's something that we have to come to terms with or not come to terms with, there are a lot of aspects of it that are uh, can become more transparent, can be more visible. And the more visible we make the different components of this machinery, the more we can interrogate and interpret and criticize and think critically about the different components. And so that is exactly what we're trying to build at the D-Lab is really a clear understanding that makes transparent all of the aspects of AI that we can make transparent and to infuse into that process the human component as, as we were discussing so that we can ensure that we have quality assurance that we can interrogate the bias that is being introduced so that we can assess the quality of the model as well and the quality of the predictions so yeah it's really an exciting time because there's so many new tools that are being you know introduced every day and uh it's really once again, our students that are, you know, the lifeblood, our students, our postdocs, our early career scholars that are really the lifeblood, because if it wasn't for this active community of, you know, discourse and discussion and debate, 
there's no way that any one person can stay on top of everything that's happening, but it's through that community engagement that we're able to to learn something new every every day. Claudia, it has been delightful conversing with you. I'd like to thank you for your presence and participation in our podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for tuning in and for following the show. And a special thanks to the University of Pittsburgh School of Health and Rehabilitation Sciences, Department of Health Information Management, and to Pitt's Health and Explainable AI Research Laboratory for launching this podcast. We'll see you next month.